0: From API, this is Energy Tomorrow Radio, your source for information and conversation about the most important energy issues of the day.
1: Welcome to Energy Tomorrow Radio. I'm your host, Jane Van Ryan. This month, July 2008, Spain is hosting the 19th World Petroleum Congress. It's an event held only every three years to address global energy issues. Some of the topics this year being discussed include delivering energy for sustainable growth, how natural gas is transitioning into a global commodity, fuel supply and demand, and the challenges associated with delivering energy where it's needed, when it's needed, every single day. Our guest today knows quite a lot about delivery challenges in the natural gas industry specifically. She is Becky Roberts, president of Chevron Pipeline, and she's a participant in the discussions at the World Petroleum Congress. Welcome, Becky.
0: Hi, Jane. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you for joining us. Please tell our listeners about Chevron Pipeline. Where does it operate, Pipelines?
0: Chevron Pipeline operates all across the United States, but our gas assets, our gas transportation assets, are focused on the Gulf Coast area.
1: Does your pipeline business also um, handle a lot of natural gas
0: storage? We do. We have some natural gas storage assets in Louisiana and in Texas, and also operate a field up in Canada.
1: And actually what you're doing there is storing natural gas for future use with consumers,
0: correct? That's correct. It's a a good way to uh, go into the winter to have a supply that's available. If that winter gets cold, then we have gas that uh, is ready to flow. And so a lot of utility companies or marketing companies use that storage uh, just to be sure they're able to supply what our customers need.
1: You're making a presentation at the World Petroleum Congress about how the natural gas industry is changing. Can you share some of your thoughts with us?
0: Well, I'd be glad to. Uh, The natural gas business has generally been a North America uh, type of business. But with the introduction of liquefied natural gas, and that's gas that's coming via ships from other areas, it's becoming more of a global market. So we're in the beginnings of that transition right now. So at one point, a natural gas that's produced maybe in Angola could end up either in North America or in Europe. Or a gas that's produced maybe in the Asia region could end up in Japan or even in the future coming to the west coast of the United States.
1: And once it reaches the west coast of the United States, use that just as an example, how do you then deliver it to consumers who are either in California or Arizona or perhaps in the middle of the country?
0: Well, the gas arrives in liquid form on ships and then goes through a process where it's turned back into a gas again. It's just allowed to evaporate. Once it's in the gaseous form, it goes on into the normal pipeline distribution system that everyone is using now.
1: So it's a pipeline system then? That's correct. Are there different transportation alternatives that can be used? Uh, what, and what are, the, what are the advantages and disadvantages?
0: Well, with, if we look at natural gas on a global scale right now, we have a lot of gas reserves that are not near markets, and a lot of markets that need the natural gas and so we're looking at various alternatives. The, the traditional model was to take gas out of the, the well, take it to a market through a pipeline. But again, if you're, you're stranded somewhere where pipeline is not an option, then you have to look to liquefied natural gas as a possibility. Or another alternative is converting the natural gas into a liquid like a diesel and transporting it then again via, via ship.
1: Well, what are some of the challenges in doing that?
0: Well, a lot of the challenges are economic. You have to have a significant gas reserve to be able to pay out the type of investments that it takes to to build a liquefaction plant and to pay for the transportation on the ships. We have a lot of political concerns that go on, even here in this country, about not wanting these types of facilities uh, in our backyards, the, the NIMBY issue that we hear a lot about. If we look at transporting by pipeline, again, from a stranded area to a market, then we have to deal with potentially crossing country lines. And we see this right now in Europe, for example, where we have a large gas reserve in the Caspian region. But to get into a market in Europe, you have to deal with several different governments. And each one has its own views and and motivations of what it wants to see a pipeline do. So there are a lot of challenges no matter which direction you decide to go to commercialize.
1: Yet there are advantages to consumers all over the world of using cleaner burning natural gas for a variety of purposes, correct?
0: Absolutely. Natural gas has become the preferred energy source because it's cleaner than most of our alternatives in the hydrocarbon lineup. And so people would like to use natural gas to, to fire power plants, Uh, The emissions are better out of a natural gas-fired plant than uh, some of the alternatives. So it has become uh, in quite demand, and we're seeing the growth of that demand worldwide increasing significantly every year. So it's a a very important thing for companies like ourselves to find the solution to be able to link the, the supply with the market.
1: Looking at today's pipeline network, can you tell me whether or not they're safe? And is technology assisting with the monitoring and the maintenance of the pipelines?
0: Well, we're required by law in the United States to inspect our pipelines on a regular basis, particularly the ones that are going through areas of population or potential environmentally sensitive areas. Uh, We we are required to go through and, and inspect them and maintain them. And so it's in everybody's interest to keep them safe. Our biggest challenge on that is actually third parties, uh, other people like farmers or construction people, digging into the area where our pipelines are and accidentally hitting them. And so our, our most common failure of our system is caused by someone other than ourselves. So we do have the the one call number that anybody in the United States can call before they dig, so that's very important. But at the same time, we're also monitoring our pipeline systems through a control center that uses technology to continuously monitor pressure and and the flow through the pipeline so that we can identify uh, when something goes wrong uh, and respond to it as quickly as possible.
1: There are some areas of the United States that have recently been identified as very good prospects for natural gas. Uh, the Marcellus Shale, for example, comes to mind. Is that an example of one of the areas that could have stranded gas? Is it possible that you would need to build more pipelines in order to deliver any natural gas found there to the marketplace?
0: There's a huge wave of construction projects going on in North America right now in response to a renewed drilling effort around natural gas. And it's all the way from the Gulf of Mexico up into the Rockies and uh, even looking into Alaska. So, yes, there are significant challenges right now in getting new infrastructure put in place to be able to get this gas to market. The challenges that we have are around cost and again around access. To rights-of-way. People don't normally like to have a pipeline coming through their area, so it's a real challenge to get the permits that we need and the right-of-ways that we need to be able to put these systems in. I think it's good for everybody for them to be there, but uh, we do have to work through that process to be able to get the pipelines installed in the areas where the new production is and get that production to market.
1: And Becky, how will technology enable production from these new frontiers?
0: The new frontier areas are very interesting, and just to give you an example, we're now drilling in the Gulf of Mexico in over 10,000 feet of water, which is uh, very, very deep. We have to use new technology just to get the pipeline down to that depth. You know, consider that once it leaves the surface of the water, we will never look at that pipeline with human eyes again until we've removed it from service. And so we have to use robotics to get down there, and, and we have to use new processes for maintaining the pipe. We really have to think very far ahead as to what issues we might anticipate uh, over the lifetime of that pipe so that uh, we are able to respond to whatever those conditions are. So we are definitely depending on new technologies to help us to um to be able to construct these new systems.
1: This is an important discussion for us to have on Energy Tomorrow Radio, particularly in light of the fact that there's so much discussion today about access to new areas for oil and natural gas and our need to increase supplies. Becky Roberts, thank you so much for joining us today on Energy Tomorrow Radio.
0: Thank you, Jane, very much. Thank you for joining us on Energy Tomorrow Radio, brought to you by the people of America's oil and natural gas industry. For more information about this podcast or to submit questions for future shows, visit energytomorrow.org. That's energytomorrow.org.